Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams, and we are done with the 2022 season. No sense in looking back any further. We're in mid-January now. That means it is time to look ahead. John is in the midst of some season scouting. I know you're on the road right now, John. Uh, you've hit the trail down in Texas. Uh, have you come across any any of that Texas high school talent that are going to be tomorrow's stars? Or wh- what are you up to in your, your pre-spring practice travels here? I haven't spotted someone of Nico's caliber, Tennessee's uh, five-star quarterback. But I uh, saw a couple of surfers here on Galveston Beach at and I wouldn't be I wouldn't mind trusting an offense to one of those guys. They look pretty wiry, pretty athletic. If you can uh, stay on a surfboard, you could probably avoid a pass rush. John, I know we're both a, a beach aficionados and uh you know I love the Florida beaches. Just got back from California and the trip out there to cover the national championship. Spent time on a few different beaches. Really liked Hermosa Beach. They're south of LAX, but it's been a while since I've spent too much time on the Texas beaches. I did some as a kid, but it's been many years. How, how would you say the Texas beaches stack up with some of our loves there in, in Florida and, and uh, the California coast? Well, I, I think they're uh, somewhat underrated right now. Not Certainly not in Texas. Galveston Beach uh, has some shortcomings, but I don't think there's any such thing as a bad beach. Uh, if you go over to High Island, just south of Beaumont, Texas, and get on the Boulevard Peninsula, there's a place called Crystal. I think it's Crystal Springs Beach or Crystal Bay. Whatever. Somebody told me that's their favorite beach. I really like South Padre Island and the northern end of the island, too. Uh, it's not as crowded as the beaches you're accustomed to, like uh, Florida beaches, certainly. Hard to beat the West Coast, though, from just the total atmosphere. I think I've been to every beach in the L.A. area, and I really like uh, I really like Malibu because, as I recommended to you and you checked it out, there's Malibu Seafood right there on the Pacific Coast Highway. And I highly recommend that to anybody. If you like seafood, there's just no better place to go. Yeah, I got the snapper. Good food, good view. Georgia fans had kind of taken over the place that day at the picnic tables there. Lots of lots of red and black, and uh, was all red and black uh, the following night in the national championship game. But as I said, we are looking forward here, and we're not going to turn this exclusively into a, a beach podcast. We'll stick a little bit to college football, and today we're going to get into our power rankings, our quote-unquote too early power rankings for the 2023 season. We're going to confine this as we do to the SEC. So we'll have uh, 14 on up to number one. You can probably guess uh, who might be in some of those positions, but we're not going to make you guess. We're going to reveal them one by one here. And so without further ado, at the bottom of our power rankings list, and I almost hate to do this because I know you think the world of, of Vanderbilt, as do I, the Commodores coming off the season, which they snapped their 26-game SEC losing streak. And not only do they just beat uh, one SEC team, they beat two, John. They beat Kentucky and Florida in November to finish. Well, it would have been a high note if not for that 46 nothing loss to, to Tennessee, but you know, with that two SEC wins, I almost feel bad putting Vanderbilt down here at 14. But, you know, they lost their running back. Ray Davis transferred. They got A.J. Swan, the quarterback, the young quarterback coming back. He'll he'll be carrying the torch after splitting time with Mike Wright last year. We, any hesitation putting Vanderbilt here in the 14 spot? Do you think we missed an opportunity to slide the doors up higher? Well, I think it's important to point out we don't do this capriciously. We put some thought into it. We had a pretty much, well, I guess, the equivalent of a Zoom conference and, and went over all the, the SEC teams. And after doing that and doing some research, we concluded that, yes, Vanderbilt should be the worst team in the conference. I, I was impressed with those wins over Kentucky and Florida, uh, which, wow, 
I don't know if those programs can recover from that, but, uh, but then Vanderbilt turned around after those. And this is so often the case with Vanderbilt when things appear to be on the upswing, it's just, you could almost bet on a crash landing things kind of, kind of moving upward and then boom there that 56, nothing lost to Tennessee at the end of the season was about as, as bad a Vanderbilt performance as I've ever seen. And uh, the running back flees the scene. He said, I've had enough of this. I'll, I'll go somewhere else in the conference in the SEC. He's go to Kentucky where maybe I'll have some blocking. So now let's, uh, let's leave Vanderbilt 14th and I'll put it a, I'll put it a, a low 14 too. I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a gap between 14 and 13. Okay, well, that brings us to number 13, another program that I know is near and dear to your heart. Now, you've written at times over your career, John, that you don't think Missouri has any business being in the SEC. I remember a column you wrote, I believe it was last September, in which you said Pittsburgh would be a better (laughs) fit for the SEC than than the Mighty Tigers out in Como. And I, I thought that was a low blow. As someone who spent four years of my life in, in Columbia, really enjoyed my time there covering the Tigers and enjoying the, the great state of Missouri. I, I thought that was a cheap shot and saying the Pit, Pit Panthers would be a better fit uh, for, for this Southern League of ours than, than what Missouri is. But nonetheless, you went there. And, and would you like to defend that or, or move straight into why we have Missouri at number 13 in our list? No, first of all, first of all, I want to make sure everyone understands. I'm a big fan of the state of Missouri, the Show Me State. Harry, Harry Truman from Independence, Missouri, is my favorite president of all time. So uh, it's certainly nothing good. I just think the Tigers program is perhaps would be a better fit somewhere else. Uh, perhaps challenging TCU for supremacy in the. Uh, new Big 12 to come. I, I think that would be a good spot for, for Missouri, but it's still in the SEC, and I don't think it's opting out of the league. Uh, so I, I would think uh, I think it's better than Vanderbilt. Uh, I said that last year, and I'll say it again. I'm not afraid to say that, despite Vanderbilt's uh, two conference wins. Still mystified that Elijah Drinkowitz got a huge raise. He's going to make $6 million for what he's doing at Missouri. Oh, my goodness. It's it's baffling um, why Missouri would do that. And the the big beneficiaries, of course, are guys like Shane Beamer, who have been able to leverage that into richer deals for themselves. It's like, wait a second, if if Eli Drinkwitz is making $6 million uh, and he's sub-500 through three years, you got to pay me some money. Um, It's interesting, John, with, with Missouri, they had one of the best receivers in the conference this year. Dominic Levitt uh, shined for the Tigers, but but he hit the transfer portal, and he's at Georgia now. And so I think it's tough when uh, when you do break through with a little bit of talent at Missouri. I think it's harder than ever maybe to to hang on to those those guys. And and we saw that um, with with Missouri losing its its top talent um, to the portal there. And and you know Brady Cook. At, at quarterback, he's he's someone who, you know, he hangs on to the job, and he runs it a little bit. He he helped them beat Arkansas, and and I think one of the better moments of the season for the Tigers. But I, we just haven't seen him hit another level, the veteran quarterback for Missouri. But I don't know that there's there's an answer at that position either. I mean, Sam Horn was the the uh, recruit they were all excited about. At Mizzou, well, we barely saw him on the field this year, and and I think his absence told me something. So I guess maybe it's going to be Brady Cook yet again, and that's that, huh? Uh, yeah, I was exchanging texts with a Missouri fan and fans, and I thought, uh, you know, I comment. I was ap- actually complimentary of Brady Cook. He was a better quarterback than I thought he would be. I thought he got better as the season went along. Occasionally made some nice throws, and he's a very effective runner. I didn't realize he was that good a runner. And so I sort of uh, touted him to my Missouri friend who said, 
we need another starting quarterback. So we'll see how that goes. I do think it's worth pointing out that other than Ohio State, which team came closest to upsetting unbeaten in number one Georgia? It was Missouri. It's true. And I watched that game, and it was one of those games, even as you watched it, you're kind of saying, well, is this – why is this happening? What? Why Why hasn't Georgia taken control of this game yet? And Missouri pushed it right to the brink of defeat, and finally Georgia came to its senses and realized who it was and who Missouri was and and won the game and went on to another national championship. But, but again, I – I don't know. I mean, Missouri, could it be a bowl team in 2023? It's kind of become a bowl program, which may explain Drinkowitz's uh, huge salary hike. Uh, you go to a bowl at Missouri, you're good. I think that's the message we're getting. Yeah, and they were able to retain Luther Burden, their five-star wide receiver, who from afar at times seemed to be a little disgruntled throughout his his first year at Missouri. But they lost Dominic Lovett. They kept Luther Burden. Um, I think you might have preferred it the other way around and keep Dominic Lovett, but at least they kept one out of the two to give uh, a top target to Brady Cook. All right, moving up the list, John, at number 12, and this makes three straight from the SEC East. The SEC East, I thought, acquitted itself well this year. They had a, had a winning record in those crossover games against the West. Both Georgia and Tennessee were undefeated in their crossover games to help boost that record. But here we are with three teams from the East at the bottom of the pecking order. Uh, We have Florida at number 12, I think a sign of the times for the Florida program and the growing angst with Billy Napier already so soon into his tenure. But we got to look at that Florida offense, Sands Anthony Richardson in the bowl game. And it didn't always look great this year with Anthony Richardson, but I mean, that was that was anemic without him against against Oregon State in the bowl game. They lost 30 to three. They lost to Vanderbilt. They lost three straight to close the season. They lost five out of their their last seven to close the year. They got guys heading for the transfer portal. Now, they do bring in Graham Mertz, the former quarterback from Wisconsin, to, I guess, headline the quarterback competition at Florida with all the all the drama with the four star recruit that was supposed to be headed to Florida. Now that's, that doesn't seem like that's going to be happening. Jaden Rashada, um, you know, seems to be backing out on, on that deal amid some NIL controversy. I, I don't know if you're going to say the future's bright at Florida. I think it takes a leap of faith at this point. Oh, I think the future's brighter than you do because, uh, you were you were so strong about how bad Florida would be that I actually had it a little bit higher, but you were just uh, you were just so strong in your opinion that it should be lower. In fact, I think if I hadn't been here and lobbying for the Gator, you might have had it below Eli Drinkowitz and the boys. But uh, yeah, I, it's hard to be that excited. I don't think there were any parades in Gainesville when when Graham Mertz uh, announced he would be transferring from Wisconsin to Florida. When was the last time anyone got excited about Wisconsin's quarterback? I guess uh, Russell Wilson, maybe. It's, uh, and- yeah, it's it's hard to see see you know the the University of Steve Spurrier and Danny Warfel and and Tim Tebow are handing the reins potentially to Graham Mertz, uh, a guy who threw ten interceptions last year at Wisconsin, completed fifty seven percent of his passes. Oof. If that's the future of Florida's quarterback position under uh, Billy Napier, I, I got a feeling Billy Napier is not going to have a long um, celebrated tenure in, in Gainesville. Now, even with this drama with Jaden Rashada, the, the quarterback recruit, it is worth noting that I feel like there's a little bit of momentum on the recruiting trail for Florida. I think their, their 2023 recruiting class ranks about uh, number 10 or number 11. I believe it is. I think ideally when you're when you're coaching Florida, you want to rank in the top top eight to top five. Uh, but, you know, they got a bunch of four star talent coming in. I just I look at what we saw at the end of that season. I look at the, the depth in that program. Yeah, I, I, I probably have maybe a little bit more concern about the Gators uh, 
this this being a longer rebuild than, than maybe you do. You were a little little bit higher on them. Well, there are some concerning signs, and one of which I thought I thought Florida's offensive line under Billy Billy Napier was was better than it had been in the previous seasons under Dan Mullen. However, two offense starting offensive linemen, Richard Garage, I may be butchering his name, and uh, who was the other, Michael Tarquin, both transferred. That that I thought that was unusual to. Two starting offensive linemen said, "No, we're not interested." So, perhaps they they talked to you and uh, were totally discouraged about the future of the football program. So we need to get out of here. If uh, Blake Topmeyer thinks we're the twelfth best program in the SEC, so yeah, those are signs for uh, signs of concern. I think. All right, moving on to number eleven in our power rankings, John, and this this is one I lobbied hard for to at least be at, at eleven. I uh, couldn't get it any higher, but I, I did get did lobby to get Mississippi State to eleven on the heels of a nine and four season, best season for Mississippi State since two thousand seventeen. Um, of course, also dealt with the loss of their coach, Mike Leach, died of heart complications in December. So now it's Zach Arnett's program. Uh, Mississippi State won in, in tribute of its uh, of Mike Leach in its bowl game to get to nine wins, uh, but they are losing a lot. They're losing a lot off the backbone of that team. It's defense. Uh, you think about Emmanuel Forbes was was um, you know a cog in that secondary. They're losing several guys out of the secondary. Now some veteran guys are coming back for their super senior years. They're they're two leading tacklers in the middle of the defense: Jet Johnson, Nathaniel Watson along with some veteran defensive linemen. They're coming back for for their bonus seasons, their super senior years. Uh, Will Rogers coming back as a fourth-year starter at quarterback, but they lost their best receivers. <laughs> it's like Georgia's rating everybody's best receiver, I guess, right now. Uh, Ra-Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, he transferred to Georgia, among a few other guys that are on their way out. So, um Definitely, I think it's it's heading for a, a step back for Mississippi State, but I did think with enough of those veteran guys on defense saying they were coming back for the super senior year, uh, like I said, I pushed hard for them to be no worse than number 11 in our power rankings. I really don't know what to expect from Mississippi State. I like what Zach Arnett did as a defensive coordinator there. It was a nice tandem uh, with the late Mike Leach uh, running the offense as head coach. And Zach Arnett put together a really tough, aggressive defense that uh, uh, was was very effective for most of the time. So I just don't know what to expect from him as um, as a head coach, and I don't know what to expect from the offense without uh, Mike Leach, who was pretty much the uh, the mastermind behind that air raid offense. I think he a, lo- a lot of coaches uh he was their mentor and they learned the air raid system under him so i just don't know what to expect there will will rogers be as productive maybe so but uh i just think it'll be i think it'll be a, a tough transition simply because mike leach isn't there yeah I, I would agree with that i think uh you know it's one thing to lose a coach a coach leaves for another school i think it's an altogether uh, different task in terms of keeping your program together uh, when your your coach you know dies of, of heart complications as Mike Leach did in December that that affects different players in different ways for a roster as as big as as a football team is you know players uh, have all types of, of relationships with their coach but certainly you know there were there were a lot of players there at Mississippi State that you can tell you know in the aftermath of that had a strong relationship uh, with their coach and you're right. You just don't know how that transition is going to go. You have a first-time coach in Zach Arnett was really good as a, as a defensive coordinator, but we don't know what that's going to look like um, in the head coach's chair. As someone who we, we, we've we gotten a long look at several places in the head coach's chair, some good, some bad, Hugh Freeze and his Auburn Tigers we have at number 10 in our power poll for the SEC, John. And, and I think this takes a little bit of a leap of faith that what Hugh Freeze is building through the transfer portal is going to come to fruition here this season. Because if we were doing an end-of-year power poll, Auburn would would not have logged as, as high as number 10. But we're, we're looking forward, and Auburn's been very, very active in the portal. 
Um, I think they've they've added 13 guys as it stands right now in, in transfers. Hugh Freeze is going to have to do something with with Robbie Ashford, uh, a very talented runner. We saw that in the Iron Bowl, pretty inconsistent passer, and right now he's he's sort of the headline guy to be Auburn's quarterback this year. So that's going to be a work in progress. Um, Got to get better on the offensive line, certainly, than what Auburn was this year. But it is encouraging, I think, with the, uh, the the transfer bodies and the way that Auburn has salvaged that recruiting class. At one time, you know, it was looking like a disaster in recruiting, but they did salvage at least a top 20 class. Yeah, I think that's significant. And I think when we talk about Auburn going forward, we're kind of looking backward at also at Hugh Freeze's track record. He has won wherever he's been. He won in the SEC. He beat Nick Saban back-to-back when he was head coach at Ole Miss. That track record of recruiting uh, maybe maybe broke a few rules there, but he did recruit, recruit well. And, and what was a broken rule back then is not a broken rule anymore with NIL. So uh, he should recruit pretty well to Auburn, I think, is his – First class has showed. Also, uh, he's known for offense, uh, and he's he's been really good with quarterbacks. So I think Robbie Ashford, Robbie Ashford got better last season. I, I thought, are you serious? This is the best you can do at quarterback when he won the job because he looks like a running back playing quarterback. It's like you've gone to a a wildcat package as your primary offense, and he's just there. Uh, every down but he got better as a passer i thought and well i, I think, think it's a, it's ahead. also worth joe noting john that um auburn immediately looked better after they fired brian harson i mean I, I think that was just a bad fit from the word go and they played the month of november with cadillac williams as their interim coach they almost upset mississippi state on the road uh then they did beat texas a&m they beat western kentucky and they were competitive in the Iron Bowl. So it almost told me that, yes, Auburn was bad last year, but maybe they weren't as bad as they looked at times in September and October when Brian Harson was running that program because it was like, you know, um, an immediate jolt of life into that program, I thought, during the last four games of the season as soon as they got Brian Harson out of that chair. Addition by subtraction. And you must have been pretty pleased with yourself over that decision to fire him. As I recall, you were calling for his firing – the week before he was hired there at Auburn, you you thought it was a really bad move, and and you approved right on that. Uh, so yeah, I think Auburn, I think Hugh Freeze, like I said, is a really good fit for Auburn. I, I think this will go well. Uh, and I know tenth in the SEC doesn't seem great for a program that's enjoyed the kind of success Auburn has had through the years, but when you compare it to what was happening the previous two years. It does signify progress, so I, I think tens. Uh, uh, I think Auburn fans can be encouraged by number ten. Well, if you're going to give me credit for predicting that Brian Harson's tenure would be a short one at Auburn, John, you need some credit for having Kentucky. I think squarely pegged coming into this season, Kentucky was getting a lot of hype in certain corners in the preseason. Mark Stoops was contributing to that hype by thumping his chest in the in the preseason, and and Kentucky didn't come close to living up to that. Um, they got embarrassed by Tennessee down the stretch. They played in one of the more, um, they ter- delivered one of the more ugly performances in a bowl game, missing uh, a couple couple key cogs there with with opt-outs and Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez and um, you know just delivered a miserable display, didn't score in its Music City Bowl game against Iowa. Finished seven and six, which, you know, there was a time where that was celebrated in Kentucky football, but it was it was a year of higher expectations. Uh, but they've they're they're trying to reload in the transfer portal and keep this thing going. They've added Devin Leary, the North Carolina State transfer quarterback. Uh, I guess would headline their additions, and so we've got him number nine in our power poll. John, I know you've spent the uh, the last couple of weeks here scouting what Kentucky has. What can you tell us about the Wildcats? Well. Uh... To me, Devin Leary might be just as successful as Will Levis. At no point during the 22 season did I think Will Levis should be the first player taken in the NFL draft. He's very competitive, has a great arm. 
can run, uh, seems to have some of the intangibles. He just didn't look like a number one pick to me, um, as demonstrated that dreadful loss against Tennessee. I think it was 44 to six when Kentucky looked uh, woefully inept in all areas. So you could say that it's replaced it's the two big losses, running back Chris Rodriguez, quarterback Will Levis, with two competent players. Uh, and, and Vanderbilt's running back Ray Davis and, and, in, and quarterback Devin Leary of NC State. Where Kentucky's dropped off to me, though, is defensively and in the offensive line. When it was on the rise in the SEC – East and and had a couple of 10-win seasons under Mark Stoops, who, as we always point out, even in criticizing, has done a really good job at Kentucky. But I just just don't think Kentucky is as strong overall as it's been in some of those past seasons. And and that's that's why I was really fine with our number nine ranking, which is in the top 10. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and you mentioned the the trenches for Kentucky. I thought, uh, um, you know, in addition to the quarterback and running back pickup, getting transfer Tanner Bowles from Alabama was a was a reserve. Um, you know, who who got made regular appearances at Alabama, played for them. Uh, he's he's now in Kentucky's program, an in-state guy coming back, so maybe he can help. Uh, I guess fortify that offensive line because, as you said, when Kentucky's at its best. Really, the formula for Kentucky is you got to be really good at the line of scrimmage. And I know that's not uh, uh, rethinking things or redesigning the wheel there. Uh, that's that's SEC football. You got to be good up front. Uh, but that's that's the way Kentucky's done it. In their years where they've won ten games with Mark Stoops, they've been really good on the offensive line and they've had a good defensive front. So that uh, they need Devin Leary to to be every bit as good as Will Levis, if not better, but they need to get better at the line of scrimmage as well. Some, so a couple of key additions there. All right, John, our, our next three, I'm going to offer all three of them and then we can unpack them one by one. But I, we had a lot of debate about these three. We felt like you could have made a case for maybe any one of the three to be at number six, and you could have made a case for any one of the three to be at number eight. We don't see a ton of difference between these three programs. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll go from six to eight here. At number six, we have Ole Miss. At number seven, we have Arkansas. And at number eight, we have South Carolina. Now, South Carolina, of that group, finished the year hottest of the three. They beat Tennessee. They beat Clemson. Nearly beat Notre Dame in, in a bowl game. Spencer Rattler's coming back. Uh, but they did suffer some some key losses and outbound transfers as well. So let's start with them. We got South Carolina at number eight. What are your impressions uh, heading into year three here under Shane Beamer, which will be year two of the Spencer Rattler experience? I go back and forth, up and down, on whether I think South Carolina will be really good under Shane Beamer or will just be uh, mediocre at best. Uh it was a strange season, and I thought his first season was strange. It started off poorly, finished kind of strong. And then this past season, those two wins just changed everything. That, to me, was really a testament to Spencer Rattler, whom uh, I'm really high on him as a quarterback, uh, the Oklahoma transfer, who was once considered a, a Heisman Trophy front runner and lost his job to Caleb Williams, an eventual Heisman winner. But I like Rattler. He's a playmaker. Uh, That's how South Carolina scored 63 points on Tennessee and how it upset Clemson as well. So I really like Spencer Rattler. I just don't know if he had enough help, if he has enough help. Uh, You pointed out the attrition. Uh, I thought Jaheim Bell, a tight end slash slot receiver, uh, can be a running back too. Uh, I thought that was a significant loss. So. Shane Beamer's recruiting well. Maybe those freshmen can help right away. Can help right away. But I wonder about South Carolina's running game. Uh, I don't wonder so much about Spencer Rattler. I think even under duress, he can make plays. So I think eighth is about right for the Gamecocks. Yeah. In addition to Spencer Rattler coming back, it was really important for South Carolina that Juice Wells, their leading receiver, 
uh, has announced he's going to come back for another year rather than test the NFL draft. And um, he's a guy, you know, with over 900 receiving yards this year. And, and really, it was even more important because you look at several of the targets behind him. They're all outbound, either either transferring or out of eligibility. So they really needed Juice Wells to come back. He did so. That'll be a good connection there with him and, and Spencer Rattler. But they do have, I think, some depth questions after some of the departures they've had in that program. I, I really wouldn't have a problem with him at six or seven either. Um, I, I'm fine with him at eight. So that brings us to Arkansas at number seven. Now, as you know, John, I had high expectations for the Hogs this season. They didn't quite live up to that. They were merely average. The offense looked really good when K.J. Jefferson was healthy and on the field. K.J. Jefferson did not play in a couple of their losses to Mississippi State and LSU. Certainly it showed. Arkansas then down the stretch was a little puzzling. They beat Ole Miss. They lose to Missouri. Then they play in one of the more exciting bowl games, uh, a game that was like whoever has the ball last is going to win, overtime win over Kansas, in which each team was in the 50s. I, I still like what they have on offense coming back into next year. They'll have K.J. Jefferson back for another season as a veteran quarterback, dual threat. They'll have Rocket Sanders, one of the best running backs in, in the SEC for his junior season. But that defense was a mess this year uh, for Arkansas. They're losing defensive coordinator. He's Barry Odom's now the head coach at UNLV. Drew Sanders, Bumper Pool, you know, they're, they're, they're outbound. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like number seven at Arkansas, that's about right. I mean, they're a team, they're a dangerous team that if their offense is humming, you, you don't necessarily want to play them. But with all the questions they have on defense, it's hard to put them much higher than number seven. Yeah, you can look at Arkansas a little bit like South Carolina. And, again, it has a quarterback who can make plays. And a quarterback who's fun to watch. I like watching Arkansas play, win or lose. It's a fun team to watch. Anytime you have a running back named Rocket, that that's a good sign. So, uh, again, I just don't know, and it's the same way with South Carolina, I just don't know about that overall talent on the depth chart. If it's if it's good enough to to do much more than be middle of the ro- a middle of the road type program right now in the SEC, uh, particularly in the SEC West. So, I think uh, seven is probably the highest I could go with Arkansas, and and just slightly below Ole Miss. In Ole Miss, another interesting program I think because they they started the year so looking so good, but they weren't playing much schedule wise. You know, they, they started, I believe it was seven and O uh, before losing five out of their last six down the stretch, lost their bowl game to Texas tech, lost the egg bowl. The, the schedule stiffened. It was no real mystery why I think Ole Miss struggled down the stretch, but Jackson Dart, their quarterback who's set to return was up and down a really gritty player, hard nosed player took off and ran a lot. Uh, not big on sliding. He's going to lower his shoulder and go head first. Um, but I think he's got to clean up some of the decision-making through 11 interceptions this year, had three in, in the bowl game. Uh, really big for Ole Miss to get Quinshawn Judkins, Quinshawn Judkins excuse me, coming back for another year. Uh, of course, he's got to play a couple more years before he's headed to the NFL, but after he had the season he did as a freshman with over 1,500 yards, I think there was maybe some worry that, oh, uh, would he trans- transfer, you know, test – Test and see if he can get a better deal elsewhere. No, uh, the the uh, the Ole Miss collective stepped up there and made sure Quinshawn Judkins is going nowhere. So with their quarterback back, with their running back back, um, you know, I kind of like what Ole Miss has on on offense. Uh, I, I just think they need Jackson Dart to show some growth, like we saw from Matt Corral from year one to year two, working with Lane Kiffin. I don't know if Jackson Dart will reach that level, but I do think he has to grow. And I think the defense has to be more consistent. Uh, you know, started the year really strong against the weaker competition, but as the schedule picked up, you know, Ole Miss couldn't rely on that defense as much, in particular that loss against Arkansas. The defense was was just shredded. Well, you can count on Lane Kiffin working the portal really hard. He's added a couple of wide receivers who could start. Chris, Mar- Chris Marshall, I think he was a – he was a four, maybe even a five-star signee by uh, Texas A&M, had some issues there. 
uh, and then Trey Harris, a productive receiver at uh, Louisiana Tech. So uh, you can expect him to formulate a pretty good offense. He always has. And you're right, Jackson Dart has to get better, though. Um, I just don't see the talent or the potential there, Matt Corral. You do see some highlight plays from him. I would like it better if he would learn. He would uh, perhaps practice sliding more because when he's, he likes to, he's liable to go airborne, hurdle, try to hurdle somebody or lower his shoulder and take out a 240-pound linebacker. Uh, that might not serve him well this coming season. But I, I still think when you look at uh, Lane Kiffin's track record that he'll win enough games to – keep Ole Miss in the top half of the SEC. So six seems about right. And one thing I like about Ole Miss is they're not just standing pat with their quarterback situation. As we record this uh, on on Tuesday, reports are that Ole Miss is in pretty good shape uh, to potentially add Walker Howard, the transfer quarterback from LSU. Of course, he was a third stringer at LSU and, and opted to transfer, but this is a guy that was a, a highly touted uh, recruit in that 2022 recruiting class for LSU spent one year there, entered the portal. And again, as we record this, uh, seems like Ole Miss is the front runner for him. So I like that they're, they're still looking to improve their quarterback position, even though they have their starter returning and Jackson dart. John number five takes a little bit of a leap of faith here because after the season that was for Texas A&M, I mean, it seems like we could be talking about a coaching change, uh, say, in, say, October or November next year, uh, if, if it's another year like the one we just saw. But, you know, I go back to the preseason, John, and I, I thought Texas A&M was being overrated coming into this year. I thought, yeah, they, they had a ton of young talent after that, that number one ranked signing class in 2022. But how quickly would some of that talent materialize? And it didn't. It, it didn't materialize quickly enough for A&M last season but they did finish on a high note by beating LSU and now a lot of that young talent is is back a little older maybe a little wiser you got Bobby Petrino coming in maybe they've found something in quarterback Connor Wigman who took the reins there at the end of the season we we are going out on a limb here but I feel like talent wise the stage is set for Texas A&M to turn the page and, and be able to say, yeah, last season was a disaster, but it was a young program, and all the hype came one year too soon. I think the LSU game was more reflective of Texas A&M's talent than its final record was. Uh, didn't even qualify for a bowl game. It does have, so, have some really – it has some promising young players. Uh, I think Connor Wigman can be a good SEC quarterback, wide receiver Evan Stewart, another freshman – could be one of the best players in the SEC. I think A&M will be much better up front on both sides of the ball. And one thing to remember, for, I mean, it, it just looked like such a train wreck and Jimbo Fisher's comments in preseason and the expectations and everything kind of lost in some of that was this team was just decimated by injuries. There were just a lot of injuries in the offensive line with the quarterbacks. It was hard to maintain any continuity. So I, I think we really agree on that one. That's one I think we were both pretty pretty strong about is that Texas A&M could be in the top five of the SEC next season. Yeah, they were playing so many freshmen and sophomores uh, on defense this past year. And the defense was okay. You know, it wasn't the biggest problem in that program, but I, I think it wasn't as good as maybe, you know, some of the defenses we've seen in, in recent years from Texas A&M, but it was still okay. But now those guys are going to be um, you know, sophomores and juniors, the ones that were freshmen and sophomores, so many of them out there uh, this past year. And, and you mentioned Evan Stewart, um, you know, the, the very talented receiver who was, who was kind of the, one of the highlights of that freshman class. Him combining with, with Connor Wingman, maybe they have something there. That, that was the biggest problem Texas A&M had this year is they didn't have a quarterback. Well, now they've, now they've got some clarity at least. They know who their guy is. Um, he'll be working with Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino you know, someone who's, uh, you know, veteran hand, Jimbo Fisher, you needed to bring in an offensive quarterback. And I think this is someone who's been around long enough that maybe he'll listen to him and, and Bobby Petrino can um, have an influence on that program, which, which certainly needs a boost on that side of the ball. 
John, a team that made its living on that side of the ball comes in at number four for us. Tennessee checks in at number four on our power pole. Um, the Vols offense was uh, masterful in, in an 11-2 and two season. Beat Alabama. Now they're losing a lot. They're losing Hinton Hooker, who at one point was the Heisman frontrunner, got hurt at the end of the year, finished fifth in the Heisman voting. You and I both thought he should have been a little higher than that. Jalen Hyatt, their star wide receiver, is also out the door. But we got a glimpse at what the future of, of Tennessee football looks like in the Orange Bowl with Joe Milton starting at quarterback against Clemson and uh, some of the fresh faces that are going to have to, um, you know, be, be claiming starring roles in the wide receiver core. Stepped up, Squirrel White uh, had a really nice game, among others, in the Orange Bowl. And, and the future looks looks okay. For Tennessee, I don't know that it could be to the level it was with Hinton Hooker at the controls, but I feel good about about having Tennessee here at, at number four in the power pole. Yeah, I, I, excuse me, I'm sold on Josh Heupel as an offensive coach. I don't think Tennessee will ever suffer for a lack of offense when he's the head coach. Uh, you go back to his first season at UT, wasn't as productive as his past season when he had the number one offense in the country. But he still, when you looked at the talent available and what those players had done in the past and then what the team produced in his offensive system, that convinced me that he's going to always have enough offense. That won't be a problem. And I figure with recruiting, he recruited a lot of four-star defensive players, which could help the defense right away. So Tennessee, uh, I don't think that was an aberration with Tennessee – going to number six nationally. I think that's indicative of what the program could be under Josh Heupel. And as far as the quarterback goes, Joe Milton uh, was an impressive game against Clemson. He threw three touchdown passes and didn't make any mistakes, protected the football, uh, and he was quarterbacking without his top two receivers for the regular season. So, yeah, I am still see uh, Tennessee in the SEC's Final Four. All right, we got three teams left. That's uh, Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. In no particular order, there are three teams remaining. So let, let's do this. Let's start at the top and go to number one in our power poll because I think the debate between two and three maybe is is better, and it, and it should come as no surprise. We have we have Georgia at number one in our power rankings. Back to back national champions. They're going to have to replace Stetson Bennett. Um, they're going to have to replace a, a fair bit of NFL talent, guys that are either out of eligibility or, or leaving a year early for the NFL. It's not going to be as much, though, as they had to replace off their 2021 national championship team and came back and, and won it again. They actually have a pretty strong nucleus returning at Georgia, led by Brock Bowers, the sensational tight end. I guess you can call him a tight end. He really does it all. I mean, how many, how many programs got a tight end that's running jet sweeps? Uh, and, and Lad McConkey is, is a solid wide receiver. Whoever whoever's their quarterback is going to be very very blessed to have a lot of talent around him. I guess the leader of that conversation would probably be Carson Beck, the three year veteran backup, is now the headliner in a quarterback competition that also includes Brock Vandegrift, um, the once highly touted recruit, and and others. There, so I, I still think the future is very, very bright at Georgia. I don't have any hesitancy to put them number one in our power rankings. I had more hesitancy with Georgia coming into this season that was when they pumped out 15 guys to the NFL draft. I thought they'd take a step back this year. They didn't, um, even though they're they're losing, you know, what will be a handful of guys to the draft this year. I, I think they got a pretty strong nucleus returning. It's a great nucleus, I think, and it's scary for the rest of the college football to think that Georgia just went, un, went unbeaten, won back-to-back national championships, and some of the very best players on this team were sophomores and a few freshmen. That really bodes well for what's to come. On paper, Georgia looks as though it could be a better team next season. That's hard to say since it just went unbeaten, but it's very talented, and it faces – a a schedule that that is so favorable. Uh, Tennessee could be its toughest hurdle uh, in Neyland Stadium. So I, I just really uh, like what Georgia could become. Stetson Bennett is a huge loss. As this guy was, uh, we're past all that walk-on junior college transfer stuff. 
he became an outstanding quarterback and uh, kind of a legendary SEC quarterback because of winning the way he did. And he made he was so good in the clutch, and he could run. I think Carson Beck is a really good, pure passer. He doesn't have that running potential that Stetson Benning had. You mentioned Vandergriff, another highly touted signee. And also there's Gunnar Stockton, I think, was a five-star who's very athletic. So I wouldn't count him out of the competition. But I still like Carson Beck to be the quarterback, and this will be the best receiving core Georgia's had in a while, adding Dominic Lovett and from Missouri, Rara Thompson Thomas from Mississippi State, and Land McConkey's really an underrated receiver. I mean, to me, he can be an all-SEC receiver. And then you add just the return of Brock Bowers, who he could be the running back, he could be wide receiver, slot receiver, tight end. He could be just about whatever you want him to be. So, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt uh, Georgia will go into the season as a favorite, not just in the SEC, but in in college football in general. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned those transfer wide receivers. We mentioned them before when we were talking about the programs they left, but it, it would already be a talented receiving core for Georgia even without those guys. But when you add Rara Thomas and, and Dominic Levitt as marquee transfers, I mean, it's just going to be a loaded group um, of guys out there on the perimeter for Georgia. And, and you mentioned some of those sophomores on defense. I mean, Jalen Carter was kind of a linchpin guy. He'll be a highly uh, selected draft pick, first-round guy off that defensive line. But as you move back, I mean, Smale Munden and, and Jamin Dumas-Johnson, their sophomore linebackers were, were excellent. Javon Bullard in the back end of that defense I thought was was particularly key throughout the college football playoff. I mean, just a lot of guys going into their, their junior season that I think is going to keep that defense in, in good shape. And it's it's just a machine there at Georgia right now. And Kirby Smart's doing it the old Nick Saban way during the pinnacle of Saban's dynasty. It's it's you recruit, you know, number one or number two ranked recruiting classes, and then you develop them. There's there's not many guys in Georgia's program that you think, oh, this was a highly touted recruit, and he just didn't pan out. Uh, I mean, yes, there's they have some some guys that from this national national championship team that were three star guys that they got more out of than the recruiting rankings said. Most of the guys running around out there for making plays for Georgia are four- and five-star guys that they've developed into the stars that the recruiting services suggested they would be. So that leaves, John, the debate for who's going to be the pride of the SEC West. And number two in our power rankings, the options are Alabama and LSU. The case for Alabama is they just signed the number one-ranked recruiting class Um signed 15 of the nation's top 100 prospects, but we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They lose Bryce Young, uh, the magic man who who helped propel them to an 11-win season this year. It came up short of expectations, but if not for Bryce Young, I think they would have had a couple more losses uh, on their resume, and they finished nicely in, in the Sugar Bowl by beating Kansas State. But then you have LSU, who won the West this past year. Uh, they really return everybody on offense other than Kayshawn Butte. Uh, they returned Jaden Daniels at quarterback, got a nice backup, and Garrett Nussmeyer, who's still in the ranks. Um, they're losing a little bit more on defense, but they still have a lot of young talent uh, coming back. Harold Perkins, the, the sensational freshman linebacker who really emerged in the back half of last season, will lead that unit. Um, so the, the case, I guess, for LSU is, is you know a little bit more. I think there's a little bit more on paper there. Alabama, it's more of a... Uh, of a point toward the future with that signing class. And, and, and you got to take a, a bit of a leap of faith with their quarterback there, whether it's Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson, we just don't know what that's, that's going to look like for Alabama. So how do you see the debate between number two and, and number three? Well, it's uh, you emphasized it. It's quarterback. I just don't, I don't think Jalen Milroy has uh, showed that he's a proficient enough passer last season. Maybe he'll get better. Uh, Ty Simpson didn't play, so he's a blank slate, but a highly recruited player, highly ranked by recruiting services. So there's certainly potential there. But Jaden Daniels is a proven commodity. Garrett Nussmeyer behind him. Uh, he looked pretty good throwing the ball, even in a loss to, uh, to Georgia. Uh, he's got a really good arm. LSU seems so much better set at quarterback than Alabama, and that's why I would have Alabama, uh, LSU second and the favorite to win win the West. I, I think LSU 
is a strong contender for the college football playoff uh, this coming season. It just, I love the way Brian Kelly has worked the transfer portal. He's also recruited a top six or top five recruiting class. Um, I, I, he really knows how to build a program. He's won wherever he's been, and I think he's going to win big at, at LSU. So also another thing that I really like about LSU, to me it has five of the best players in the conference, young players, most of the wide receiver, Malik Neighbors. That guy came out of nowhere. He far surpassed Kayshawn Boudé as a go-to receiver. Uh, you have a, a tight end in Mason Taylor who looks like a big-time player, a future NFL guy. You mentioned Harold Perkins. Then Mason Smith, who was lost for the season to a knee injury against Florida State. I mean, he was supposed to be LSU's best defensive lineman and maybe an all-SEC lineman. So the, all those guys, uh, and Jaden Daniels at quarterback, that's quite a nucleus to have, a little bit on offense and a little bit on defense. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel good about our, our spot of, of LSU there at number two, followed by Alabama number three, because there's there's just more – I think there's more proven players at LSU. And you mentioned it. They got the star power. Um, you know, it's not just a quarterback where Jaden Daniels, you know, returns off a really nice season. And, and let's not forget, LSU beat Alabama this year. Now, I know it came down to the final play, and that's the rallying cry for Alabama fans is that they were two plays away from being undefeated. Well, yes, that's true, but that was with Bryce Young at quarterback. LSU brings its quarterback back. Alabama doesn't. Um, LSU brings a lot of its star power back. Alabama's having to replace guys like Jameer Gibbs and, and Henry Toa Toa in the middle of that defense, um, whereas, you know, as you said, at LSU, Malik Neighbors, they're, they're top Playmaker is coming back. Harold Perkins is coming back in the middle of that defense. When you when you look at what we know about guys who are coming back, LSU's in, in better shape. For Alabama, it's more of a belief that there's going to be some young talent emerge, and I think that will be the case. Alabama's not approaching the abyss, but I wonder, John, if, if Alabama is maybe a year away um, for, from reclaiming its, its place of, of prominence and dominance in college football with that number one recruiting class they just signed. I see a lot of questions facing the program this year. I don't think it's going to be careening off a cliff, though, and I wonder if you know this time next year we're talking about Alabama is positioned to, to retake the top spot, not only in the SEC, but maybe in all of college football. Well, you mentioned star power with LSU. You don't see that star power at Alabama. Now, we may find out once the season gets started that there's plenty of star power, but right now you don't see it. You don't see it at quarterback. You don't see it at running back. And there's no obvious star receiver out there either. That's unusual for Alabama. Usually there's certain guys you can point to, i.e. Bryce Young at quarterback. And, and even this past season with uh, Georgia Tech transfer running back, Jameer Gibbs, who's now off to the NFL. So LSU has more star power, and I just think a, a more proven depth chart overall. All right, so there you have it. There's our power rankings. Uh, let us know what we got right, what we got wrong. Uh, we'll be we'll be uh, debating this, I'm sure, plenty more uh, throughout the offseason as, as teams jockey for transfers. Uh, some guys will be headed out, some guys will be headed in, and, and things might look a little bit differently come the summer. John, enjoy your travels in texas and uh, thanks for listening to sec football unfiltered